How many of you like knowing where you're going and that you're going to get there directly and quickly? Scott Ziegler, put your hand up in the back. I know that's you. You want to get there and you want to get there with like no time flat. How many of you would put up the other hand and say, I prefer the scenic route? Take me to show me some stuff that I don't normally see. I don't want to be in a hurry. I definitely want to be able to stop for the bathroom. Those kind of statements is you. Um, it gets me thinking of one of my favorite, if not my all-time favorite animated movie, is Cars from 2006. Some of the good Disney stuff from a long time ago. Lightning McQueen, a self-centered race car. Trying to win the Piston cump- Cup. Got to be careful how you say that word. <laughs> he is in the runnings to win the championship. Think NASCAR with no drivers. And on the route to drive in his semi-truck to get to the championship race, he finds himself through some unwelcomed events to be stuck in the little town called Radiator Springs. And through the events of him being somewhere where he did not plan to be, he comes to recognize what's really inside himself and what needs to change in order for him to become the car that he is truly meant to be. To go from being a self-centered race car all about him to being a car in community with relationship and um, a purpose in his life. I think God has a tendency to bring us to places in order to let us see, because he probably already knows, as we know, what's actually inside of ourselves that he needs to deal with. What is the posture towards our journey, whether we like the direct road or whether we take the scenic road? What is our posture towards the journey in regards to growing in intimacy with him? Are we prepared to surrender the journey and, the, and what is going on for his purposes in our life, knowing that the destination is, is second place in the world to the destination of our heart, where, is where he is most going after? Today we're going to look at some more of the beginning of the journey of the Israelites after they left Egypt. They were on the way to God's promised land for them. And we see God leading them to the next stage of growth in discipleship, in relationship with him. My assignment today for you is, my my assignment today as I speak to you, is to try to focus us in in on the fact that God's first priority is not to try to get us to some station or stop or situation in our life so that we've reached the destination, but his goal is to use the stations and stops and situations of our life in order to get us to grow in relationship with him. He's wanting to use the stuff of our life, the places of our life, for discipleship purposes, not just try to get you somewhere into his blessings the quickest if there's something that's opposed to that in your heart. One might say it this way, where God has brought you to is intended to be used so that he can get to you. Where he's brought you to is meant for him to be able to get to you. So let's pick it up. And I don't mean that in that negative way. Somebody's going to get you. But he's intending to use those spaces and places to be able to get to you, to actually reach you. 
So we're going to pick it up in a few places in the last half of Exodus, um, beginning with Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, so three months have taken place from when they exited Egypt, and on that very day, three months later, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So we in Canada don't have a lot of deserts. We have the beautiful sand dunes around Elbow and, and some different places like that, but we don't know a ton, a lot about sand. This, this um, version that I'm reading from, from uses desert. There's other translations of the Bible that use wilderness. In my understanding, this place is more about uninhabited wilderness than it is about vast areas of sand. One might consider it to be more like open grazing country. Think southern prairies of Saskatchewan where you can watch your dog run away for three days. You feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. So that's kind of the sense of where the Israelites are at. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him, called to him from the mountain. Think Mount Blackstrap. No, don't. Some were taller than the plains. And said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings. Everybody say eagle's wings. And brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the, summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Say that with me. We will do everything the Lord has said. Get a feel for it. Let's do it again. We will do everything the Lord has said. Have you ever felt that way? That that would be you? You would do everything God has said? So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And so after this passage at the beginning of Exodus 20, that's where the Ten Commandments are laid out in, in those, this period after Exodus 20. We see that Moses kind of goes back and forth between the mountain. He's speaking with God. Besides the Ten Commandments, there's all sorts of other rules and laws about how to live and how to live in community. There's how to live before God and before, with each other. Sabbath laws, pe- festivals, um, property laws, how to build the tabernacle. This is all going on three months after they have exited Egypt. And for the next year, approximately, is, is how long they are, seems to be at this spot. But in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, When the people saw the Lord and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. So just a few verses ago, they're saying, we'll do whatever God wants. They're getting a little greater glimpse and picture of what's going on right now. They're getting a little afraid. And Moses says, do not be afraid. God has come to test you. Yeah, I said that and I read it. God has come to test you. We don't like that language in North American Christianity. We prefer God to bless us. 
We like, this, we like the scripture, God has come to bless you. We say yes, amen, that's why we signed up, and we carry on, and then we're totally devastated when the blessing doesn't come as we think because we think that the blessing was the stuff when the blessing was the God. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So God is coming to them and wanting to help them learn how to stop sinning so that their relationship would not be separated but be brought together. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. You see, God has come to see and to know what he already senses and sees in us. He's come to prove and to test the gaps that are in our character and in our relationship with him. When it says God has come to test you, to keep you from sinning, he's wanting to expose in you so that you can actually bring it to him, be healed and be changed so that you don't keep on living in the same patterns and ways and rhythms that lead you into sinful patterns and, and pathways. That is why God is coming to test us, not to put us down, but to expose the infection of where we are still not right with our, in our intents and motives and actions with God so that they can be healed, so that we can learn how to live in relationship and freedom with him and learn how to live out of love for each other. That's why God has come to test them so, so that he could prepare them to be the people that he is calling them to be. In Exodus 24, it describes Moses and the elders in worship of God. Moses actually at that point is going up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And that happens. The Ten Commandments happen. Um, all the instructions about the tabernacle are given and they are built. So that if we were to skip 20 chapters later to Exodus chapter 40, in the last few verses it says, Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle, and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the to the courtyard and so Moses finished the work so everybody think dreaming of a house building it moving in and living that's what we've just skimmed over in the last 30 seconds the dream of the tabernacle it all being furnished and happening to where Moses has now finished the work then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So much here. In the, all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, then they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night and in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So God had led them to this place. He was doing his work, unveiling what needed to take place for the next season of relationship between him and the people of God. The people of God said, yes, we are all in. Actually, talk to Moses and let him talk to us. And we're all in. And then the last verse says, they followed and the cloud was in the sight of the Israelites during all their travels. An amazing story, right? God bringing them out of Egypt, takes them to the Red Sea, fully delivers them from the Egyptians, is leading them to the promised land, leads them here to do a check-in, to test them. Are they fearing the Lord? Are, does, is that Egypt stuff out of them so that they can love him fully and trust him fully? Can he give the next level of instructions and believe they will obey? And then they follow the cloud 
of the Lord by day and by night. What's missing? Well, this story, unfortunately, is more like your and my story, not some fairy tale version of that just went perfectly. Right in the middle of all we just skipped over, in Exodus chapter 32, if you have your Bible, you might have a heading that says, The Golden Calf. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down, remember this is after he's gone up for 40 days. When he's been so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Ugh. What a heart-wrenching story that the people who were professing complete and undefiled faith in God and they would do whatever within the course of 40 days of feeling like they were waffling while they were there in the desert are ready to cast all their trust in golden calves that were shaped from gold brought out of Egypt. Do you see why God had to test them? Do you see that that moment in time, that space they were in, was actually meant for their benefit because God couldn't take and wouldn't take and didn't want relationship with people that have a 39-day shelf life. He wanted something more because he knew there was so more, much more to be had. He didn't create people to have a shelf life in relationship with him. He created them so that he could, they could experience all the freedom that comes from being in relationship with the one true Jehovah God creator. God was leading them to this specific place in time in order to deal with the issues of their heart. He was checking in to see if the Israels were going to be good with him being their God or if they were only good with him being their Santa Claus. I know Santa Claus wasn't around 3,000 years ago. but He desires relationship with you. He created us for that. The Israelites were to be his people. They were created for that. Now with Jesus and the sacrifice that he did, there's no Greek or Jew in God's eyes. It's for all people of every race, nation, tribe, and tongue. He wants relationship. But for us to be in relationship, both as individuals and community, we have to see that where God has brought us to is so that he can get to you. He doesn't want to let you slip by with what is settled in your heart that actually needs to be exposed and cleansed. How are you at handling your desert? How's your 39-day shelf life? How's my 39-day shelf life? Are we, are we like those Israelites ready to say, yes, I'm all in with God at day one when everything seems rosy and it seems like we don't know everything that's coming, but we're sure it's going to be good because God is a blessing God and he got us this far. I can't wait to see what's next after the Red Sea splits open and manna comes from heaven and water flows out of a rock. What part of Walt Disney World does God have coming at us next? Are you ready to let yourself be caught, to let God catch you so that he could deal with the issues of your heart? 
or are you trying to get out? Are you ready for, are you waiting for the situations and the circumstances to be right in order to move forward? Or will you trust inconvenient and distressing circumstances that God will meet you in that? Are you ready to pursue God when you have more time? You'll say, I'll be able to take more time with God. When I have more money, I'll be able to be generous and worship God with my money. When I have more peace, I'll be able to be more gentle towards my husband and my wife and my children. If I have more stuff and what I really want, I'll get to be more thankful. See where I'm going with this? What's the desert part of the inconvenience and the distress that God is coming to minister to you in and expose what is some of the root issues that he actually wants to purge from your life so that you can be closer and more intimate with him. God's question might be something like, are they with me? Are they for me? Do they trust me? Will they follow? Will they worship me with their whole heart, even without knowing all that I have in store for them? Are they all in? Will they worship me and make me the priority in their life? Man's questions might be something like, am I with him? Can I trust him? Will I worship him fully? No matter what, no matter the station or place or stop. God's question causes him to double down and to pursue hard. He says, let's test this. Let's prove where they're at so that I can know where they're really at, so they can see where they're really at, so that I have permission to go after the next stage of their growth and discipleship and relationship with me so that they can follow me as intimate, dependent children, getting to experience my heart. That is the heart of Jesus for us. Come to me and I will give you rest. Worship me and worship me alone. God's question causes him to double down, to go after us, to make sure that we are getting fully devoted to him. The problems with man's questions is that it can actually lead to temptation in those deserts. We can actually switch allegiance. Those Israelites switched from God Almighty to a golden calf in the matter of a second. We're tempted to go from the mystery of God to what is tangible in the man-made. To worship the creation rather than the creator. And if we worship the creation rather than trust the creator, it's in this that the blessing that we've been given from the creator now becomes a curse as we live in his creation. The Israelites were jumping ship. Aaron, get us some gods that we can worship. You see, we are created for worship. We are created for relationship with God. And in the midst of the temptation for those Israelites, the call to worship was so great that they needed something they could trust and be tangible with. But God was creating them for a walk of faith. They couldn't handle the distress. They couldn't physically see Moses. There was too much thick smoke going on. Get me the earrings, Aaron says. And he fashions a calf. Isn't it interesting that in the beginning of this chapter, it says that he took the gold, he put it in the fire, he shaped it, he molded it, he used a tool to fashion it. And then when Moses comes off the mountain and he says, Aaron, what have you done? Aaron kind of freaks out and said, I put the gold in the fire and this calf jumped out. He's not taking any credit for any fashioning, any sculpting, anything like that. 
We have to watch what we fashion with our hands, what we shape with our attitudes, what we shape with our energy and our time. Think that fashions certain things in our life. The gold wasn't the issue. The gold God had given them in Egypt to come and to establish their life, he sent them out with gold and silver and treasure and riches. And that gold had just been used and would be used to fashion the articles of worship. Think the altar, think wash basins, think dishes and pans and jars and bowls, think golden cherubim. That was what that gold was for. And the same gold they were able to take, use, and pervert into an idol. Was it the gold's fault? Or was it the heart of man's fault? The resources in your life, the part of your life that is tangible, it can be used both for the worship of God and to keeping him front and center, or it can be used as um, and taken to be crafted into what would turn into be a curse and take your energy and effort and eyes off of Jesus. You see, the heart is the issue, not the substance. What took the Israelites sideways? Why did they jump ship like that? I think one of the things was an attitude issue. We know where they had come from. They had deep in their heart and it was getting exposed again. Complaint versus contentment. They had a critical spirit about how Moses was leading, how God was providing, and they would complain, complain, complain in the midst of community and against leadership and against God. They had a complaint gene flourishing in them rather than a contentment gene that they would just be thankful for how God was providing. Folks, it is very hard for your tongue to worship and praise when it's complaining and cutting down. It is very hard for the tongue to worship as it complains. We need to check our attitudes. For the Israelites, there was a timing issue. There was the whole patience versus panicked, taking too long. They shouted out, get us a calf. Now, I'm from the farm, and you hear me talk about cattle, and I love cattle farming, but I have never once thought, if I would just follow that calf, my life would be far greater and far happier. (laughs) Unless I'm following it to the butcher, and then I get far fuller. (laughs) Steaks for everybody. You don't pick a calf and make it a golden calf and make it your God and think that somehow, before it was even created, it was what was led you out of Egypt. Can you say the word panicked with me? Have you ever been panicked in your stops and situations and places of life? When's he showing up? What's going on? I don't think I can wait. There's nothing more to do here. Folks, it is hard to worship when you're panicked. And we need to settle our hearts before God and allow him to teach us how to walk patiently. Both those issues, attitude and timing, stem out of that conflict of trust versus fear. Can we trust? If we can trust, we can worship. If we don't trust, we get distracted and taken sideways, and not that we just don't choose to trust. Our eyes are actually going in a different direction, and we have to intentionally bring ourselves back around. God. 
God is more concerned about being at the center of your presence so that you learn to live with him, walk with him, and worship him than he is at your getting you to your future where he might be on the outside of it. He is training us and walking us along so that we learn to depend on him. He wants to be in the middle of relationship with you. Part of the issue of those desert things is that we can't panic. We don't want to run away. We want to run to him. We talk about these words in emotionally healthy discipleship at times. Orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. And they really apply to us as followers of Jesus who have followed Jesus for a while. We get used to how life is. It makes sense. It's the life we know. We enjoy God. We think we're good. God, you good. Yeah, you're showing up. Great. And then God pulls the stunt of bringing us into the desert where he wants to test us. And in the testing, we get disorientated because our life gets turned upside down. The prayers that we used to pray that work don't work anymore. The scripture that we used to read that feel, feel, feels like life all of a sudden feels a little dry. The people that we leaned on have not shown up for us lately. And all of a sudden, the money isn't enough to get us through to the end of the month and, and we were faithful in our giving and we, we serve and help but we don't get thanked and then all of a sudden what, what felt like we were cooking along pretty good in our spiritual walk gets upended for some reason and we want to blame God rather than think that God might be allowing some situations into our lives to expose what's still in our heart so that he can bring us to then a new orientation. And the problem is if in the, the uh, disorientation we get frustrated and jump ship thinking that God isn't still with us when actually he might be more with us right now than what he was in the orientation because we were just cooking along but now he is actually using the mess and brokenness of this world, the messiness of our relationships and community to do a good work and bring us to the next level of trust and dependence on him. The disorientation is what we call messy church, where we let the brokenness come out or it shows up again, or I thought I dealt with that five years ago. How come there's still remnant pieces in this relationship right now? It's not panicking when some of the old gross stuff comes up or we think, how did that happen? That wasn't God's promise. God brought them to that point to allow them to be tested, to heal their hearts, to do what was different so that they would put their worship towards him fully and not tuck tail and run and go after a couple golden calves. The temptation for you and me is that we get caught in the disorientation and we want to tuck tail and run to, yeah, family, that'll hold me safe. If I just had more finances, if I just had more stuff, if I just had more break, and we run to the things that we think we can get what we need from to get reorientated and feeling safe again when God is saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. Worship me alone. Let me be your center. And so let me wrap up with this. The, the Israelites were coming. This is like when this stuff is happening, it's like a year or two out of Egypt. And unfortunately, once you read and get into numbers, you recognize that after two years, that's when the hammer fell. And, and it was going to be 40 years from then that they were going to be able to get in the promised land because they didn't have faith. They still didn't have trust. God said, it's going to take 40 years for me to get this out of your heart and life. I'm saying, if we are stuck in a desert, if we're wondering if we're disorientated, if we're wondering if God has brought us to this place in order to get to us in this space, we need to 
be really aware really quickly. And so I'm using the, the letters ASAP to get our worship life in order as soon as possible. So how do you do that? First, assess your life. Assess your life. Have a meeting with yourself. Invite the Holy Spirit. He will show up and ask, is there anything in my life that is not lining up with the way God wants me to live it? And the Holy Spirit will say, because we're not perfect till heaven, he might say there is something right now, or he might say you're good right now. It might be, it might, who knows what he's going to say. The thing we need to do is at different times take stock of our walk with God. Are we in order with him? You see, you are responsible for the life you live. You might not be responsible for all the things that have happened to you, and for a lot of you in this room, a lot of bad things have happened. And I am sorry for the pain and the sorrow and the struggle you have gone through. That never should have happened. But on the flip side of it now, you are responsible for how you will live in light of what has taken place. And will you surrender it to God and allow him to use it to move you further on into worship and relationship with him rather than letting it sideline you, pause you, throw up your hands and say, where are you, God, and find your own golden calves to worship instead? You need to pause and assess your life. Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is a good prayer to pray at different times in our life. Where is your worship directed? Is your worship and energy and focus on God and recognize that everything that comes around it, whether it's church or work or family that he's intending to be the center of it and you to do it in honor and worship of him? A, assess. S, stop. Stop, you're wrong. Where, and Moses got pretty up in their face. He's, you guys are worshiping golden cat. Give me those things. And he takes them over to, what's his wife's name? Zipporah? Anybody remember? Zipporah, thank you. Give me your cheese grater. And he takes the golden calves and he grates them all up, grinds them all up, throws them in the water and says, here, drink your golden calf. And he says, we're putting a stop to this today. And he got rid of the stuff that was causing the offense. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We need to take the sin seriously so that we stop it and we get whatever helps and supports and accountability and changes and patterns in order to be able to stop it. A, assess. S, stop. A, accept your grace. That's a different language. We normally talk about God's grace, and I'm saying accept your grace because God has grace for you. He is coming to get you because he loves you and you want, he wants you not to punish you. He's put the punishment for your sin on Jesus. Jesus died and rose again. And he knows that he's purchased a broken person learning to live righteously. And he is coming and he will forgive you again. And his goodness calls you to repentance. It's God's goodness that is driving him to get you. It's a good God coming to do a good thing when he comes to get you. 
And we need to be able to accept and live in that grace that we don't beat ourselves up in self-pity and self-loathing and let that become a tool of the enemy to keep us from walking in freedom. He wants us to accept the grace he has portioned for us. And then finally, pursue your God. Figure out how to make him center and central in all these different areas of your life. Deuteronomy 4.29 but, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all, with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. The worship team is going to come and we're going to conclude this message with the worship song, O Come to the Altar. And we're going to invite you to stand and to sing that at the appropriate time as a rededication of your life, of, of declaring fresh, of I'm coming to the altar to worship you. And the words also confess the peace and declare the peace that his arms are open wide. You see, the worship path, getting on the path to having him central in your worship is one that he wants because he loves you. And because he wants to be in relationship for you. And because the best life you can live and experience for purpose and everything he has for you, come when you comes when you are fully surrendered. But the difficult stuff that's hidden in our heart, if it doesn't get dealt with, it wants to take us sideways to golden calves. When he instead he wants us to take he wants to take us into his presence, the way that gold was used for the tabernacle, and now Jesus has come and he's living inside you and me. As we worship, will you ask Holy Spirit to do that piece of search me, see if there's any place in my heart that doesn't line up with your plans for me, with you being first place in my life? If he shows you something, repent and ask him to lead you in a new way. If nothing comes, just, I've used this phrase a lot today, double down on your declaration to follow and worship him. The team is going to lead us and then Brianne is going to come and close us in prayer.